Welcome to the Uphill Athlete Podcast. Our mission is to elevate and inspire all mountain athletes through education and celebration. My name is Steve House, and I am here today with Alyssa Clark. Today, we'll be discussing the specific period of the training cycle and how we should approach this time. It is a crucial period for athletes, and it can make or break a trip, not only from the preparation standpoint, but also from the fine line of overdoing it. Let's get into it. Thanks, Steve. I'm I'm super excited to get started with this topic as it's really, I think, the time where the hours of base training and effort come into play and where we see the work come into focus on our goals. Uh, I think it's the part that we see, we kind of visualize, we think about as like in the dirt, going after it. Um, And so I think that it's going to be really fun to talk about today. So as we're getting into it, let's start by defining what is the specific period and where does it fit into the training cycle? Yeah, I think it's easiest to think of for me as the sharpening period. And so much of what we talk about at Uphill Athlete is about building an aerobic base. And we have all kinds of analogies, you know, the analogy of putting money in the bank with all the aerobic work, the analogy of building a big aerobic base, building a big engine. We've talked about these different analogies at various points on these in these series. And this is the period at which you take that and you convert it and make it more re- relatable or more specific to your event, to your sport that you're going to do. And really, I think it's what most people think of when they think of training. It's the going out and climbing hard. It's the running fast. It's, um, you know, doing your, doing your sport as you dream of doing it. And it's not this like sort of somewhat rudimentary and often repetitive uh, basic training that the, the the supporting training is. This is the fun stuff. This is this is this is the good times. Definitely, it's also the part I always think about in the cycle of my training. That's like I am going to be just tired, and and it's like I think that you probably understand this too where it's it's the exciting part where you're like okay this is what fatigue means and this is what it's going to feel like and these are the moments I'm going to draw off of when I'm in the hard part of the race um and we're going to talk about the balance of fatigue and rest within this but it's the part and I think it's well written in the book where it's like if you're not barely hanging on it may not be hard enough um so I think that's (laughs) (laughs) that's kind of an exciting part of it as well yeah. I want to start by just sort of prefacing this all with saying that if you if one has not had a a good solid base period of, you know, I don't know, I, these are those questions where the, a, every coach will say that it, it it depends, but you know, you need at least 12 weeks and probably 16 weeks of base period and if you don't have that and you know 12 would really be the the floor for me if you don't have 12 weeks of base period then you're going to skip this part and you're just going to 
continue to build base as long as you can. So let's start with sort of laying that out. And, you know, how big is it? This is a question we answered before, but the, the base period can be bigger than 12 weeks or 16 weeks. It can be 24 weeks. So think about this, this, the, the bigger your base, the sharper the point can become. The more work, the more specific work you can do during this period. Definitely. And I think that there's a couple of ways to break down when this time period or how long this time period should be. And it's also, I think, a difference we see between, and I, I don't love these terms, but for the sake of where we're at, this is a, there's a difference between an elite athlete where the main focus is the event, the climb, et cetera, um, and in a more everyday athlete where you're juggling life, you're juggling work, kids, et cetera. And so for an elite, the specific period could look a lot different than um, more of the everyday person. And also that's where it may not be quite as important for someone who is not trying to be on the cutting edge. Um, but to break down this period a little bit more, it can range from two to eight weeks depending on the level of the athlete and the objective. Um, we kind of prescribe a crossover period from the base um, training to the specific that's around two weeks, um, which allows for a shift in the volume and the sports specification. Um, also too, as Steve already touched on, if you are time constrained and you don't have more than 12 weeks of a base period, then it's probably going to be most beneficial for you to just skip this period. Also, if you're a newer athlete, you're probably going to benefit from staying in the base period longer rather than trying to specialize and increase the intensity. Yeah. Yeah. And that conversion to the to specificity is is a little bit of a process and needs to take some time. I also will add that even for those, for example, if you're training to climb Mount Rainier or you're going to Mont Blanc or something like that, during the, this period that leading up to that is the time where you will want to do your training climbs. You know, you will, if you're going to climb Rainier, then this is the time to start booking in climbs for, you know, Mount Hood and Mount Adams and, um, you know, Glacier Peak and Baker and whatever else you can get your hands on during this in, during whatever time period you you have. So that's also one of the reasons that this is fun. And I think that to your point, Alyssa, if you're even when you're not um, living in the mountains or an elite athlete and able to just travel when here or there wherever you want, whenever the weather is good, you still want to. Do your best to make this uh, this your training during this period look as much like the event as possible. And if that means kind of improvising, then you know. And if you're if you're having to you know drive somewhere to a sandy hill and carry rocks up a, a sand dune somewhere because you that's what you have and you're actually trying to get to Everest well you know that's that's great that's that should be you know, applauded and and that should be viewed as ingenious not as a not as a 
a concession or something doing something wrong. So it, it does it definitely needs to be. Let's get a little bit more into the specifics though. I, I'll start with just sort of talking about what this looked like for me in my uh, climbing professional climbing years and I essentially would break this down like most of my climbing was centered around climbing in the Karakoram range and so the climbing season there was the summertime and so if I was going and I typically would try to uh, plan my expeditions so that I was climbing in August and preferably in late August when the monsoon is usually uh, pa- you know, past its peak power and peak strength, and the atmosphere is drying out a little bit. And so that would mean I would be leaving somewhere in the first couple of weeks of July, somewhere between July 1st and July 15th, depending on the trek and so on. And that would mean that I would back up a month. That w- would mean my specific period would be, you know, at least. May and June, and sometimes April, May and June. And so the way I the way I would do that is I would go in April. I would go to the Canadian Rockies, and I would catch the end of the ice season and the beginning of the alpine season. For me, at my experience level, I could always climb there, even when the weather wasn't perfect, uh, and I could make sure I got in some really big days out in the mountains. Then I would have a a week or two of kind of recovery and sort of travel coming back. And then I would go somewhere else where the weather was really good. And typically that for me was often Peru was one of the best places. You go to Peru in May or or in June, start to get a little altitude. The weather is typically, again, stable enough that you can almost always climb. Um, I'm not not going to, I'm not, I'm choosing Peru over Alaska because in Alaska you can so easily sit in a tent and not be able to climb. But in a place like Peru, you can always move, even when the weather is poor, you could at least be, you know, going out and doing big hikes or, or something. Um, and then uh, the, the, the end, the last, you know, period would, would probably usually end up invariably end up mandating some weeks at home kind of because of the, the logistics of preparing for going away for a couple of months and wanting to be around friends and family and so on. And so I would do my best to just have a couple of key workouts. And so when I lived in the Pacific Northwest or in Colorado, as I did those lived in both those places during those periods, I would just have some little, uh, you know, the quote unquote local mountains that I could go and come up with some sort of circuit and I would come up with some sort of convoluted thing that I could go and do uh, a, a big day. Uh, I'll let you all in on a little secret that I've not probably told anybody about before. Nanga Parbat, I actually went to Maui and <laughs> my, my uh, last climb quote unquote, that I did, my last training event that I did was Haleakala from sea to summit and on, on foot running up the, running up the trail, the, I don't remember the name of the trail, the Sandy trail, all the way to the top. Um, and got, completely lost up there <laughs> kind of an epic actually but it ended up being like a i think a 16 hour day or something because of all of that and running in this like in this sand was oh, heinous but um actually 
pretty good training for you know walking and, and exerting in snow and had lots of lots of elevation gain so there's a lot of uh you know cl- being in maui you know two weeks before going to an eight thousand meter peak might not be the most intuitive thing and for sure it was a concession i was there with my girlfriend at the time but it was also like hey there's a lot of vertical here and I can, I can figure out a way to make a really big day out of this. And I only need about one of those a week. And it's not like we were there for a month either. We were there for a week. So it was fine. That's uh, pretty funny. Cause I have also done Haleakala from sea to summit and also got lost and also bushwhacked a lot. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think it, I mean, it's, it's a 10 K day and you're ending up yeah. over 10,000 feet. You're running on, um, volcanic like the ash and everything sand like it's it's hard footing it's hard route finding we also got lost and ended up being like a i don't know a plus hour day so yeah it's it's a good mountain that's funny it was all cloudy when i was up there i couldn't see i totally white out (laughs) it was pretty funny it's also pretty cold (laughs) up there yeah that's the other thing i had like i had like no clothes with me (laughs) it was freezing but anyway um but so that's a good, great segue, right? Into you know a way of you know finding. Not everybody's got Haleakala or a ten thousand vertical feet foot gain climb near nearby, but you can figure out something to do. Another um, one that I think is really good is to take one of our muscular endurance workouts, like a, a weighted pack carry, and you know take do that with like you know, a, a heavy-ish weight, maybe not the heaviest weight you've been carrying, but add more volume and really like, you know, by a significant, you know, do it, do 30% more volume than you have with, with something that's close to the heaviest pack you've had after, of course, a little bit of a mini taper going into that and so on, so that you're really prepared for that. You're, you've you know, rested, you've fueled, you know, you've fueled during the thing. You're not trying to kill yourself, but you're trying to kind of create this, uh, event that uh where you're sort of overreaching into that um the other thing i do is back-to-back days you know try to simulate the uh, and when you're mountaineering you're almost always have back-to-back days and depending on your objective even something like rainier it's going to be three days right or minimum of two for most people you know you're going to go up and camp say at muir or the on the on the MN side, you're going to go up to the high camp and then you're going to the next day go to the summit and then come all the way out. So th- those are very typical. So you need to be kind of, uh, it makes a lot of sense to train for those those back-to-back days. And the way I typically do that is I typically do something that's slightly harder on the first day. Uh, say, let's say 60% of the, eff- of the effort goes into the first day and 40% of the effort goes into the second day. And again, just being creative with my duration, my weight. I'll often use mountaineering boots um, for my my training if I can uh, to have a little weight on my feet. Um, I'll use the actual backpack that I'm, you know, going to carry on my climb, um, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of try to leave some of it out there, you know, I mean, there's always this, you know, sort of saying, you know, don't, don't race, don't run your best races in your training, right? That's sort of the, the, the saying, uh, but you do want to definitely have at least one 
week where you're kind of overreaching and driving yourself pretty far into fatigue and, and then feeling yourself bounce back from that. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think not only from the physical standpoint of that overreaching, but I think it's crucial for the mental standpoint where you understand what it feels like to be in those moments. And I'm a big fan of back-to-back days. They're huge in ultra running. It's the way you can't go run a hundred miles to train for a hundred mile race. And so we often use doing those back-to-back runs. And I think such a huge component of it is can you get yourself out the door on the second day and go run? And you know what? It's almost always never worse than you think it's going to be. You're going to find your groove. You're going to get there. And also the feeling afterwards, you're like, I just did that. That's what's going to allow you to be successful when you're in the race. (laughs) Things are hurting. Things aren't going well or you're out in the mountain. And so I think that that mental component is so crucial to building up the resilience and the durability when you're actually in, in the thing. Um, yeah. And, and that's such a, in those, you know, periods that I described, like going to Canada and then going to Peru and then going to the Himalaya or the Karakoram. I mean, that was a big part of it. And I would feel so strong on those, on during those trips in Canada and Peru and could see how strong I was compared to my partners. And that gave me a ton of confidence, ton of confidence. I think that that's really important to confidence. You know, you're, (laughs) you know, you're going to know if you're faking your own confidence, right? You can, you can fake that to other people, but you can't fake that to yourself. And if if you've had that experience and had that with yourself that that you just described, Elisa, that, yeah, I was able to do that. And I did, yeah, I was hard to get out the door, but I, and it was hard to eat, uh, but I did it. I got my shoes on. I got my boots on. I did that other day. I, you know, it's, it's so, so valuable. And I think that, I, I mean, I can pinpoint and it's hard because it, it almost comes across as cockiness that, sureness that you're talking about when you go into an event and you're like, no, no, I got this. I know where I'm at. I know how well I've been training. Just unless there's a fluke, which always happens, whether, you know, weird injuries, et cetera. It's like, you know, when you've put your best foot forward and I've seen it in my athletes too, where I'm like, oh, no matter what happens, they are going to succeed because they know they put in the work and they have full confidence in themselves. And that's a really beautiful thing to see of other people. I've started seeing it in myself more than I used to. And I can, I, I, I feel like I freak my parents out a little bit when I'm like, oh no, I got this. Like, this is what's going to happen. And they're always like, I don't know, be like, <laughs> just watch yourself. And I'm like, no, 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 this is what's going to happen. And that's not because I just rock up to a start line being like, oh, I can do this. It's like, all of those days of effort and especially when you put in that big specialized period, um, you just, you can feel it, you know it. So. Yeah. I think that's a great point. I think, and you know, I remember, I've said this before in other places, but you know, before Vincent and I climbed Nanga Parbat, like 
you know, he, I remember he and I had this conversation. He was getting a little anxious because, um, we were waiting for the weather and waiting for the weather and waiting for the weather. And he was like, oh, our climatization is, is eroding and we're, we're losing fitness and the longer we wait. And I was like, well, you know, we have this much longer. And if we get the weather, we're going to do it. Like there was no question in my mind. There was, there was like what you said, there was, there was no doubt. Really, really, it sounds arrogant. But that was, I knew, like, I was just like, yeah, that's, that's, that's not going to be the problem. Like the, the weak link isn't going to be us. The weak link is going to be the conditions or the, the bad weather or the unforeseen thing, but we have done our work. And I think that this is one of the things that has so many implications in, in mountain sports, because we as participants, and this is why I believe so much in the whole concept of the process of engaging in mountain sports over the outcome, because it's the process that changes you. And what changes you is this experience of yourself in these new ways, this confidence of these capacities that you develop, you know, through practice and through time and through hard work and through consistency. And you literally become a different person and then you know somebody may ask you like oh are you worried about climbing the root ball face and then you look at them and be like no i'm not worried like i'm going to do this and they think you're crazy but they don't you know know what you know and they don't feel what, what you feel and they haven't they don't know you in the way you know know yourself and it's also like within mountaineering you know it's like I remember, you know, five years later, people would come up to me and being like, oh, that's so cool. You're climbing on a power button. I'm like, yeah, but that was five years ago. Like, I couldn't do that now. Like, you should have, you should have congratulated me five years ago because I'm not that person anymore. And, and that's also true, right? Like, in all the, in climbing, and especially the, it's a little different in running, but in climbing, you know, all of the sort of, um, let's say, uh, acknowledgement comes well after the fact. Which, which is fine, but it, it, it's actually also part of a good lesson, I think, because it's that lesson of delayed gratification, uh, which I think is, is so, so important and so rare, it seems like, in modern society and so, and, and so valuable, I think. Yeah, and I think that that's something that athletes who have been in the game where you're an overnight sensation to so many people where you're like, I'm an overnight sensation of 10 years of hard work. And exactly. that like, you know, we're talking about such a specific period, but you and I combined have probably been through like, you know, 50 of these specific periods throughout our lives. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not just those two to eight weeks of hard work. It's like years and years and years going through the cycle. And then every time you learn a bit more about yourself, you increase your fitness, you increase your mental elasticity. Uh, and so, you know, it's just, <laughs> it's a, it's a lot of parts and it's a lot of time. It's just years of doing this. And that can be hard to grasp when you're starting out and you're brand new and you're like, so it's going to take me years to get here. And it's like, but if it's worth it, then you'll like, that fire will be lit and it will stay lit until that time has passed. But I think that something that's worth doing, it's worth doing for years on end. 
Yeah, I mean, that's for me what a athlete is all about, right? Like it's the process of becoming, not the process of achieving. And so I think uh, our audience is probably wondering when we're going to start talking about <laughs> the specific <laughs> period again. But yeah. I think it would, and we can come back to this as a fascinating conversation, but let's, uh, let's return to what this – because I think this applies to most people. So I want to make sure we make time to address this thoroughly, the whole idea of trying to execute a specific period before a big climb or an expedition when you do not live in the mountains or are not a professional climber. For example, I, I'm coaching a guy right now who's going to go to K2 this summer, you know, but he lives in Australia, which is pretty flat so you know you've got to take this into consideration like how are we going to do that do that for example with him and so do you want to talk about that for a moment yeah of course um just quickly though i kind of want to summarize going backwards quite a bit um to when you were say doing a climbing trip and some people are able to get away with these climbing trips or are able to take some time. And really the main objectives that you want to focus on are making it similar to your goal climb as much as you can, um, increasing the difficulty with each progression of climb. So say you're able to do a couple of mountains, making sure that it progresses in um, an increasing level of difficulty. Uh, if you are dealing with higher altitude. Each peak should be higher in elevation as you are moving through them. And I think one of the most important things is making sure that you're recovering and recovering mentally, recovering physically, and really taking care of yourself um, throughout this period. That's great, Alyssa. Thanks for um, pausing on that because I kind of breezed over it. And I would only add to consider that travel is not recovery. <laughs> and so um, and but these are these are these are great points and, and things I sort of failed to mention in my description. But it's really important to realize that these things come come from these central tenets of training that we always talk about, which is continuity, gradualness, and modulation. And the gradualness is what you're talking about, like making sure that things are a little bit harder each time and the modulation is the is the recovery piece. And this is also tied to confidence, as we were talking about a moment ago. And, you know, we should and are rightly are skeptical of large jumps in um, things that we're trying to uh, do and things we have confidence in ourselves in doing. And so what will happen if you, you know, pull something off, you make a big step and is your mind will tell, will doubt you'll, 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 you will suffer from self doubt because you'll be thinking later, Oh, that was just a fluke. And the only way to um, head that off is to approach things in a way that builds your confidence gradually over time. So you can't, your mind can't try to trick you into thinking that that was a fluke or a one-off or that wasn't really you or something like that. Because we tell ourselves these stories and these stories become our reality. So we need to uh, try to uh, stay ahead of these things. And that's how we do it. So thanks for bringing those up. Oh, I think that's great. I, that's a really good point about the mind tricking. I've definitely been there. 
But let's, yeah, let's shift to what does this look like when you have to stay closer to home, when you're trying to hold down a full-time job or deal with kids? And I'm going to break down more of kind of the terms of it and then give a specific anecdote of, um, for me, it was it was a running event, a uh, very mountainous running event, but um, the the same applications can be made. So essentially, you're trying to simulate the event that you are doing. Um, the interesting thing about this time period is that if you look at the breakdown, your volume should, for the most part, decrease because your intensity is increasing. And for those who get perhaps frustrated with how much zone two, this is your chance to go harder. Um, So you should be looking at two zone three workouts um, uphill with an alpine weight pack. So the pack that you are going to bring on your climb, Um, you should have one big day out with a lot of vertical gain and loss. Um, And if you have an objective that does have some technical climbing in this, that should be part of this big day. Um, You should have easy days before and after um, these bigger days to make sure that you're recovering properly. You should be doing maintenance strength one to two days a week. Um, Again, if technical climbing is part of that objective, making sure that you are incorporating that in. This is not, though, the time or really any time to just drop the aerobic base. So you should be maintaining your aerobic base through recovery. And as we've mentioned a few times, this is hard work. So a high percentage of your week should be recovery. Um, That allows you to have the hard days hard um, and the easy days easy. And the hard days should be as hard or harder than the big days of your climb, um, as Steve has mentioned so far. So I want to jump in here and um, talk about some of the specific things. So just in, in summary, you know, we talked about the weighted hill climbs. That's one chunk. I think the easy days, as you said, easy days are easy and hard days are hard. That's really key. I think that the strength, we talk about this in the book and we talk about like doing a, a, a mini max strength session that takes like 30 40 minutes at the most with all the warm-up and cool down and everything that leaves you energized and feeling better than when you started um this is a time for practicing skills if you're if you have technical climbing maybe a little bit of uh, cragging or something like that but you know you probably don't need to be uh going into the bouldering gym but you know for me that was some usually some sort of ice climbing or mixed climbing or dry tooling in my in the case of me but i think that the 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 overarching idea is that when you do do these couple of hard days they are really hard and when you do these easy days they're really easy and the hard days should also you know, be some sort of reasonable facsimile of your event, whatever you can make up, whether you've got Haleakala or a sand dune or actual mountains or a treadmill. Uh, you've got to try to figure out a way to make that look as much like a, your event as 
possible. The one place I would caution people is not to try to carry as much weight as they're going to have to carry on the climb. So if you're going to Denali and you're going to say you're going to have to carry an 80 pound pack, don't try to carry an 80 pound pack. Like it's not worth getting injured. Um, the, the right, or tweaking your something, you know, putting the pack on and off right before you go, um, keep things, keep things reasonable. So you don't, you know, health is always, uh, the top priority. Definitely. Yeah. Cause <laughs> again, as, as you've written in the book, this is really a moment where you can make or break and you can really bury yourself if you are not super careful, um, in this time period. So, yeah. Why don't you tell us about TDS? First, tell us what TDS is. <laughs> yeah. So um, TDS is one of the UTMB races in the race series. It's considered kind of the technical sibling of UTMB. Uh, it is about 85 miles or so um, with pretty much comparable elevation gain to UTMB. So shorter, but steeper and more technical. Um I'm going to say all of this with the fact that I have still not gotten to race TDS because unfortunately I got COVID right as I landed in Chamonix, as did a bunch of other people. So that was a huge bummer, but it led to later success in Moab and Hurt. So, you know, you take you take all the punches with, with what you can get and you make the best of it. But I think that TDS represented, at least for me, a time. So at the time, um, I was working a job for a school as well as going to graduate school. And again, so my training looks a bit different than the mountaineering training um, just because my objectives were different. But essentially, I was trying to fit in four to six hour days every day while training or while going to school while working. And it would be like, hey, get up at five in the morning, go run two hours go run at lunch for an hour, go run another two hours in the evening. And so I was able with <laughs> asking for some grace from my partner to get in this training and where I had to get it done didn't exactly look like TDS, but I would be able to get three to 4,000 feet of climbing, just going up and down, up and down, up and down. And that helped me to feel like my mountain legs were ready, my mind was ready, and was it perfect? It wasn't, but I was able to get upwards of like 25,000 feet of climbing over 100 miles while balancing all of these things. And so at the end of the day, if you <laughs> I, like I hate to to kind of put it this way, but like if you really want to make time for something, you can make time for something. Was I tired? Yes, I was super tired. You kind of, like for me, I felt kind of kind of on the edge of like, is this too much or is this just right? And that's where it's really important to have a coach, have an outside perspective that's watching you as well. And my coach was like, nope, if you want to go do as well as you can, this is what you need to do. And so it doesn't have to look perfect. Um, I even did like some on the treadmill for hurt. This year I was in negative 35 degrees and I would spend five hours on the treadmill just going up and down, up and down. And that um, paid off and you just have to do the best you can with what you have and learn that all of those mental pieces 
are going to help, whether it's five hours on the treadmill or going up and down the same street because it's the hilliest street you can find. And I think that all of those contribute to the success that you will find later on. Yeah. Yeah. How does that quote go? He who has a why can suffer anyhow. The um, I like that. Victor Frankl quote. But, you know, it's, it's, you know, I think that in a lot of ways that these people like your, you know, your story or, you know, I've coached athletes that, that train for Everest, um, you know, with, without supplemental oxygen and they used, uh, you know, the, the stairs and, and buildings. And that's to me harder than going out in the mountains and running, frankly. So if you have the, if you have the will to stick it out, on the treadmill or in the stairwell or up and down the same street in your neighborhood, then wow, like I'm impressed. That's, that's, that's some real will and stick to itiveness. So that's, that's good. I think that the other part of it too is that there's so much gratitude when you actually get to what you're doing because you're in, you're doing what you love in the place that you love oftentimes with people that you really care about. And I think that you build that gratitude. And then when you get there, it's an expression of that joy and that love and that effort you've put in. And so that's where I think it's so important to know that this effort will pay off and that it might not look pretty. It might not look very um, as similar as you want it to, but all of that will, will come around full circle. But let's get to now that now that we waxed and waned a little bit. Um, let's look at actually like generalized ideas of how to structure a training plan um, for an athlete. And Steve, you've touched on this a bit, but we're going to break it down a little bit by numbers. Um, but really, the two biggest considerations are keeping the volume at a reasonable amount while increasing the intensity. So the workouts should be, as we've kind of said, they should be hard. Um, they should really challenge you. But Steve, if you could break down kind of what like maybe a first week or two of a special period looks like, um, what would what would that be? Yeah, so you know you're going to have one big day that's going to probably account for forty or fifty percent of your total training volume in that one workout and probably most if not all of your vertical for that week and then probably something around the the weight of about half of what you're going to be carrying on your you know ultimate goal climb is sort of a, a baseline that's going to be one of the workouts the hard workouts and the other hard workout is going to be you know that's a long I should say that's mostly an aerobic effort. Of course, you can go hard and you can go into anaerobic, right? You can, you know, it's a, it's a continuum. This is not a binary, you're in aerobic or you're in anaerobic. It's, it's a good bit of a continuum. So you can be in zone three, <laughs> the dreaded zone three. This is a good time to be in the, in the zone three in the middle and you can go fun hard. And then, you know, you can do something that's really focused 
you know, zone three intervals. If you're doing it on a treadmill or on a hill, you know, we can, we can put these in the show notes, some of these uh, types of protocols. There's also some of this is laid out in the book and on the website, we can link to that. And then the rest of it is essentially what I would call maintenance. You know, it's going to be really easy, easy zone one, um, you know, and, and ideally multiple uh, zone one uh, workouts in, in a day, like, you know, morning and evening, really easy, but, you know, 30, 40 minutes, but really easy, just moving and keeping things going, eating, staying healthy. Uh, I think that this is also something worth saying at this point in your training, there is probably not a whole lot as you get towards the end here, there probably isn't going to be so much more that you can do, but there's going to be a lot that you could mess up. (laughs) So a big part of your job here is to not make any mistakes and do something like get sick or eat poorly or whatever, not get enough sleep. So, uh, and then that mini max strength kind of maintenance slash recovery, and then just the rest of your volume is going to be just time and recovery zone. And it can be in whatever modality you like. It doesn't, the modality actually isn't that important. Um, I know a favorite of a lot of the coaches is swimming because it gets the body horizontal and which means that the heart doesn't have to pump, you know, as hard to get the, the blood throughout the extremities. And um, there's some people say the, the pressure of the water helps venous ref, uh, return and so on. So the swimming can be good. I liked to do cycling personally because cycling can kind of always spin it and keep it really light and easy and uh, minimal chance for for injury. Um, If it's winter, skiing, ski touring um, are, are great things. But again, like keeping those couple, like two really hard days and the rest of it's pretty much easy. I think that's it in a nutshell. Awesome. Yeah, I think this is also just a very important period. I always think of this as is the asking for forgiveness of your family period where you're like, I have to be a hypochondriac. I have to train really hard and please feed me a lot of food and let me sleep. Um, so just, you know, maybe yeah. ask, ask for forgiveness before you enter this period of your family. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah I think, I think that this is Truly, especially as you get closer to the taper period, where you should really be, I mean, treating yourself very gently and being really conscientious. Like, honestly, I start wearing a mask in a grocery store. I'm very careful about what I touch. I'm very careful not to get sick, to eat the same foods. Um, You know, just making sure that this is a moment where all of that hard work can very easily get derailed. And if it takes just a little bit more effort, like just do it because you're going to be so happy if you get to the, to the start of the climb, healthy, safe, like all is good rather than taking a risk and, um, you know, getting sick or just not really paying attention to it. So highly recommend just really being on top of that. Um, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I will say that um, most all of what we're talking about, also two specific breakdowns and recommendations for this period are in um, training for the new alpinism, specifically kind of chapter nine. Um, But 
we've talked about this probably more than we meant to uh, throughout. But Steve, for you, for a climbing objective, um, how does the mental aspect of this and do you visualize, like, how do you uh, push yourself in these moments and how does that pay off when you're actually in the climb? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, we, we have talked about it in spots and other places uh, of the series on training for mountaineering, but I want to pick up on something that you said and connect it to the mental training piece, which I think is so important. And the way I would think about it is that as I was climbing during a specific period, I was feeling into my body. I was like really noticing how the effort felt and that in very, you know, if things are going well is usually an experience of like, Oh wow, like this used to be hard and now it feels kind of easy. That's cool. Like, I wonder what else I can do. Like, I wonder, can I hold on to this a little longer? Can I, what, you know, and you start to explore a little bit what your body can do because literally you will be in a place where you, that you're, you've never been before. You'll be able to do things physically with your body that you just didn't know you were capable of because you haven't ever been capable of it because these capacities are built, not given. So, as you go through that experience, uh, this is really important too. I want to delineate the experience of an athlete versus as a coach. Um, because as a coach, when I'm coaching someone, I can't have this experience for them. They have to have this experience in their own bodies with themselves. And so this is kind of what I'm telling them. I'm asking questions. I'm trying to draw this out. And as an athlete, I'm, I'm, I'm sing I'm, I'm exploring my new found capabilities and, and strength and through this process. And that's, what's going to give me the confidence. And we touched on that a moment ago, but I think that that's so important. And then mentally I'm connecting it to my goal climb. So I'm, I'm connecting it to one of the things like with how I structured things, the climbs would become less technical and more, you know, aerobic focus because I was my my big goal climbs were at extreme altitudes, so the aerobic component was more and more expen uh, important. And the but they were still technical, but the concept is that I want that you know um, technical to be so easy that it doesn't even really cause a blip for me when I'm doing it at an extreme high altitude. So as I'm doing something technical at low altitude, I'm having that experience. I'm like, oh, wow, this, this isn't that hard. Cool. Okay. And this is, you know, about this kind of grade and I'm feeling pretty good on this. I feel very secure on this. I can make it safe because I'm not getting pumped and I can hang out here all day and put in gear and all of those things. And then later on, I'm also thinking, I'm connecting that to being like, oh, okay, so when I'm at 6,000 meters and I'm doing something that's easier than this, that's not going to be an issue. That's really not going to be an issue. I do not have to fear that. I do not have to fear the inability to get gear in because I'm going to be, I'm not going to be pumped because it's not only going to be easier than this, 
um, it's, I've already got more than enough capacity to do this here. So that kind of feeds into like, I guess a form of visualization and connecting my experience of that moment to my projection of what the, I will experience in the future. And what is, uh, really interesting about that experience. I can say this as an athlete is that that's what happened. <laughs> like that's like, it's, it's, it literally plays out almost exactly as I visualize it. That's how I experience it. And that's the power of visualization. It, it doesn't make logical sense because, uh, this just goes to show and goes to demonstrate how much our, perceptions color our reality or our experience of reality and if you've projected and visualized a certain experience which is one of being calm and in control and having enough strength and endurance and capacity to do the task then that's why the way you're most likely going to experience it and uh, that's certainly was exactly how it, it came came about for me Oh, that's lovely. And I think the important point to draw on what you're saying is that it's not that you visualized everything going perfectly. It's that you visualized how you're going to feel as you were experiencing things. And that's, yeah. that's exactly, yeah, that's exactly what I think too many people focus on. How am I going to feel when I cross the finish line? How am I going to feel when I stand on top of that mountain? And that's actually not the moment necessarily to visualize. It's the moment of, okay, I'm for me 10 hours in, it's 60 miles of the night is rolling in. How am I going to mentally um, be in a great position if I start getting nauseous? Like, oh, oh, cool. Like nausea. It happens. I'm okay. Everything else is fine. And I have planned X, Y, and Z to deal with feeling nauseous and I can handle this. And so I think too often we visualize everything going perfectly or right of exterior um, pieces that we can't control. And really it's visualizing how you will react to what is before you. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, on day three on Nanga Parbat, we had a really big day and we climbed literally 24 hours that day. Um, and I, it was one of the probably the biggest climbing day literally of my life and it was really hard at the end and you know three quarters of the way through it you know vince's experience of it and he's told the story um was very different than mine like he was you know he was having this experience like i've never gone this far I can't go this far. And I was having this experience like I've never gone this far, but I'm calm and I'm going to be able to find a way to figure it out. And my, I just kept finding it. I just kept finding the capacity. And, you know, that last part of that day, you know, I took over, I started <laughs> shoving food into Vince's mouth and I, you know, just, just navigated us to the, to the end and, nailed the root finding and got us to a really good campsite and all of these things came together. And it was exactly because I had this experience where I had mentally been there so many times already and planned for that in my mind that I was going to go that far out and just 
but yet have an experience of being in control and being in the moment and being in a problem solving mindset. Like you were saying like, Oh, uh, Vince is bonking. Okay. Let's feed him rather than like, Oh no, well, you have to go down. You know, that's, that's a different reaction. <laughs> like, no, there's a problem. I have a solution. Here's bar. <laughs> like, like eat that, damn it, <laughs> and put me on belay. And and uh, that's that's. Uh, I think that this this also is what I. I think it's so important as I've been going through. Uh, you know, so much as a small business entrepreneur, and it's a similar, it's a similar experience, really, in in the mental ways where you just are having, uh, like, oh, I'm kind of strung out, and I'm kind of stressed, and all these things are are, are happening at once. But no, well, I mean the worst thing you can do is panic and, you know, throw your hands up in the air. And the best thing you can do is just like sort of solve problems one at a time and take your time and make, and, and take some deep breaths and go for a walk when you need to and take care of yourself when you need to and feed yourself when you need to, and you'll get through it. And there's so many things in life that I think that we can, you know, that are, we that I, for myself, experienced first in the mountains and uh, have brought back to, you know, my life is, is this in the second half of my life here that I am now. Yeah. Same. I, I always joke with my friends that I can relate everything to ultra running or mountain sports if you allow me to do so. Um, but yeah, we kind of, I guess need to wrap it up, but the last thing I would touch on is that this is such a great time period for you because we've been talking a little bit about nutrition you mentioned using the pack that you are going to use on the climb for you to be know your gear and know your nutrition because you should be practicing what you're going to be doing out in the mountain like don't go eating some random thing that you're never going to bring on the mountain like this is when you're practicing because this is when you realize i can't eat uh, applesauce. I want to throw it up, you know, or just whatever that is. And so this is a crucial period or like, huh, that piece of gear broke or like that doesn't work the way that I wanted it to. So yeah. really be testing your gear, testing your nutrition um, at this point, because this is simulating what you're going to be do out going to be doing out there. So true. Like, for example, like, you know, one of the problems that I was solving for, for Nanga Parbat was the sleeping system, you know, one, and I, I sewed my own sleeping bag and I was trying to find different, um, things. And I was sewing up these bags and the guys at Patagonia were kind of helping me and providing me with materials and consult. And, you know, on those climbs that spring, like each, each trip, was a different sort of prototype. And then the one we had on Nunga worked great. I still have it. And I got used on tons of other routes and climbs actually, because it was like two pound, two pound synthetic sleeping bag for two guys. And it was brilliant. And that was because we did all the testing during the specific period to tie it back to same thing with the food, how, like how I packaged the food, uh, how much debris, how much to bring, how much to eat, what, what snacks we could tolerate, all of those things. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta get all that stuff dialed. It's, and that's again, connects back into your 
experience of your preparation and your experience of your confidence because you can't you can't fake that and you're going to know that you went through that process and figured those things out and you're gonna, that's going to give you the confidence to be like yeah i know i'm not going to eat that applesauce because or whatever it is like i know that i'm going to be able to tolerate stovetop stuffing at 8000 meters because i've eaten stovetop stuffing at 8000 meters before and it tasted darn good and that's going to be fine that's it yeah no i've done that so many times there's I use spring energy for a lot of my racing and there's one flavor that I know no matter how nauseous I am, I can get that down. And so it's like the end of a race, the last 20 miles, if the only thing I can get down is awesome sauce, spring energy, that's 180 calories every 30 minutes. And that's going to get me to the end. And that Mm -hmm. is preparation because I know I will throw up anything with peanut butter or, you know, it's just (laughs) so super important to understand yourself and understand that you have contingency plans that are going to work. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, great discussion, Lisa. Thanks so much for that. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'm excited. We have just, I think about a little bit more left in the mountaineering series. Um, and we will be wrapping this up and producing something exciting for you coming up. Thank you for listening to the Uphill Athlete Podcast. If you could rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, that really helps us um, to get to more mountain adventurers. We're not just one, but a community. Together, we're Uphill Athlete. Thanks for listening.